Hey everyone, it's Laura Lee, and this is Gifts from God. And this is the podcast where we like to tell the stories and share the stories of families that have adopted or that are fostering. So we can be an encouragement to you, whether you are also a foster adoptive family or if you're just thinking about fostering or adopting. And Leslie and I, uh, we meet together, we do podcasts together, and sometimes we do interviews. And uh, today we're going to do an interview with a very, very special girl. Um, I'm very excited to share her story. Now, I'm going to tell you that when I do these interviews, um, Leslie's really great at finding these families that are willing to share their stories, but I don't know anything about the stories before I jump into the interview. So I'm hearing the story along with you for the first time. And I'm going to tell you that when I did this interview, it was so emotional for me. Um, this is such, such a heart-wrenching story. And I really want you, one, to be prepared for the story you're about to hear. And two, to just pray that God will open up your heart and um, for, the, for the needs of orphans, but specifically to think about the adopting children with special needs. And we're going to be posting this because it is World Down Syndrome Day. And I want you to think about the possibility of adopting a child with Down syndrome. So right now we're going to jump into our interview and I want you to hear this amazing story. All right. Thank you for being willing to come and share your story with us. No problem. So before we get into the story of adoption, can you describe what your life was like before adoption? Sure. Um, so I was young when I started the adoption process. I was only 23. Oh, wow. So I uh, was working kind of my dream job in the music industry, uh, promoting events for a local music store and school. And I uh, had lots of friends. We went to concerts all the time. and. Uh, it was what I kind of thought I had wanted in life. And then slowly uh, those thoughts started changing to something bigger and better. So uh, I was definitely enjoying life as a single young person at the time. So you were 23. I wow. was, yes. <laughs> so what made you decide that you wanted to adopt? It had always kind of been on the back of my mind. My parents fostered children when I was growing up. So I was always kind of acutely aware to the need that was out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one day on social media, um, a little girl with Down syndrome kind of came across my feed and she had been adopted internationally. And I learned all about a wonderful organization called Risa Rainbow. And from there, I kind of went down the rabbit hole of seeing all of these beautiful children um, that needed homes. And it was then that it just really clicked that I really wanted adoption in my life. Um, I wanted to give a child a home. I wanted to be a mom. And yeah, there was just all of these kids waiting. And how could I ignore that? Wow, that okay, that means so much to me because I am constantly posting on social media <laughs> pictures from Reese's Rainbow. So I am so I'm glad that it, somebody out there <laughs> was paying attention. That's so great. Totally. Yeah, it was and like totally a fluke. I'm pretty sure it was Instagram. I was just, you know, scrolling through the 
you know, random top pictures of the day or whatever. And this little girl just stuck out and yeah, it changed everything for me. That one social media post. So, okay. At that point you were 23. So how does a single 23 year old girl start the process of international adoption? Like that seems overwhelming to me now married and in my (laughs) forties. So how in the Uh, world did you do that? It was, definitely overwhelming um I spent probably a good six months just researching different programs reading about adoption reading other family stories um joining support groups online um finding local people who had adopted and hearing their stories I think I reached out to every adoption agency in Canada and the U.S. just to soak in as much information as I could. And then one day I just made the call and set up the learning session uh, locally and just kind of followed the steps from there. So um, was the hardest part for you just doing that first step then? Definitely. I think um, the hardest part for me was really just letting go of all the things I thought I needed in my life in order to have a family and adopt specifically, I thought I needed a husband and I thought I needed to own my own home and an RV and an island. And, you know, the list can go on and on of all those things that we think we need and the life we think we want to live. And hearing these other family stories and learning more about the children that are waiting, um, it really changed my perspective. And yeah, it was hard to make that that first call because it's terrifying no one ever thinks that they're good enough or they have enough or you know are they going to get approved or all of those you know what ifs that go through your mind Mm -hmm. but once you make that first phone call everything does just kind of fall into place so uh talk me through the process like a quick version of the process for somebody who's like maybe i'll think about it what do what exactly is going to am i going to go through sure um so in Canada, you're going to go through a learning session. It's a little bit different in each province. Ours uh, here in Alberta was a day-long session that talked about uh, attachment and the home study process, um, trauma, all of those kind of important things that we don't always think about when we see um, cute kids waiting because it's a lot more than that. Um, and then from there, it's a whole application process uh, with an agency. So a medical, um, you'll do kind of a little bit of background info on your family. Um, There'll be questions like, why do you want to adopt? What kind of child are you looking for? Um, What what is your goal as a parent? Um, How do you see yourself raising children? And from there, you kind of submit everything to your agency, and they will set you up with a social worker who will come out and... um, They'll do a home study, which I think is what scares people the most. I know I was terrified to have a social worker come into my home and kind of judge my life. But in reality, it was like having a friend over for coffee. We talked about my childhood, um, my teen years, my extended family. It was like giving her a whole biography of my life and my hopes and dreams. And she took all of that info and wrote up this 20-page kind of document all about me and my family and 
the future I wanted and the child I wanted to adopt. And in the end, it was this really cool thing to read. Um, <laughs> I actually love my home study because who gets uh, a free, well, not a free, but um, a biography written by someone else for you. I think that's really cool. So all of that then goes to the country you choose. And from there, you get matched with a child. That's really interesting that you say that because I tell people that was my biggest fear and they always look at me really weird, like really of all the things. But that was my biggest fear too. I'm like, the government's going to yeah. come into my home and judge me. Like I'm inviting government. And I know they social workers say we're not government, but like that's how you <laughs> feel, right? I am just saying, hey, totally. government, come into my home and look around and then judge me. <laughs> but you're yeah, right. It did feel like having a friend over for coffee. And I ended up telling them stuff I pro- like more than I thought I would because you're just they're Yeah, they're very good at their job. If you get a good absolutely, worker. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's this this air of like, oh no, social workers are bad. And, yeah, you know, yeah. you hear these horror stories of you know child welfare and all of that, so you kind of associate social workers with that. When in reality, <laughs> you know, that's yeah, part of the social worker uh, sphere of work, but adoption is just it's totally different, and yeah. they're just here to learn about you. They're not even really judging you. It's not a pass or fail sort of thing. It's how can we place children in families that are ready to take on the mm-hmm. needs? And if, if at the time they assess that you're not ready, they're going to give you the support to do that so that you are. They don't want to turn you away. They don't want to say no. They just want to make sure that you're ready. Right. That's very cool. All right. So you, you get a call that, that you were matched. And where is yeah. your child? Uh, she was in Bulgaria. Okay. Um, so I, I chose Bulgaria just because they were open to singles and had a lot of kids with special needs living in just really crappy orphanages. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where my heart was called to. So I, um, yeah, I was at work one day and just, I kind of had this weird feeling at lunchtime that something big was going to happen mm-hmm. that day. I never read the, like my horoscopes, but that day I had read it in the lunchroom and it was like, your life was about to change. Um, so I kind of, the first hour after lunch, I was like pacing around my desk, checking my phone every three minutes. And I was like, no, Delina, you cannot do this. Like put your stuff away. <laughs> and then four o'clock rolled around. I got off work. I pulled out my cell phone and yeah, sure enough, I had a missed call, uh, from my adoption agency and, uh, called them back and found out there was a beautiful 10 month old baby girl waiting for me. Oh, Wow. So how long from that phone call till you were actually in the country? It was about a month. Okay. Um, I got the phone call July 14th and was there August 10th. Um, and yeah, I walked into her colorful yet dilapidated little orphanage. And it was like the most heart pounding feeling ever. Um, I still remember it like to this day, just like, Every minute felt like an hour walking up the stairs and waiting for the social worker to meet us and bring us to like the meeting room. And we're walking by and they're like, oh, your daughter's in that yellow crib in the pink. And I kind of look and I see this really blonde baby and the picture I had because I had only received one picture. She looked more brunette. I was like, oh, I don't know which one's mine. So I just kind of like turned my blinders on and walked to the room. And uh, yeah, then they brought her in and my life changed forever. Now, did you end up using Reese's Rainbow? I didn't with my first adoption. Um, I had chosen at that time to just blindly get a referral from okay. her country. 
So she wasn't listed on Reese's Rainbow. And um, at the time, I didn't need to use their fundraising services because I had a very supportive community and was able to fundraise outside of there. But I did use them with my second adoption. All right. So we'll get to the second adoption after. So let's yeah. jump back into here. So you meet your baby. And um, and now, uh, did she have um, uh, any developmental delays or what? Uh, what was the situation with her? Yes, yeah, so my daughter has Down syndrome. Okay. Um, I had specifically chosen special needs, um, mainly because of my past. My dad um, and my aunt are blind and deaf, so I grew up around a Wait, they're, they're, that had. They're both, they're both blind and deaf? Yes, they are. Oh, wow. Uh, so my dad wears hearing aids, so he can hear a little bit. Okay. Um, but otherwise, yeah, he's completely blind. So I grew up around people with really unique needs. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always just a part of my life. And in my teen years, I volunteered with adults with uh, intellectual disabilities, specifically Down syndrome. So when I chose to adopt, I just felt strongly that I wanted a child with Down syndrome. Um, I feel like there's lots of families waiting to adopt healthy young children, which if that's what they're called to, is totally fine, no judgment. But in my heart, I just felt really like there was a need that I needed to meet mm-hmm. and I wanted a little something extra in my life <laughs> so <laughs> you got an extra crop been like, <laughs> a- absolutely which <laughs> is just the biggest blessing seriously uh, yeah she had down syndrome and other than that I mean she was quite delayed for she was 11 months at the time mm-hmm. um but really, she was just a squishy baby, so none of that really mattered. <laughs> so you're holding her in your arms for the first time, and what does that feel like? And how old are you at this point now? I was just turned 25 at this point. Okay. You're 25, um, you're holding your baby. Yeah, I just, I couldn't stop staring at her. And lots of people were talking around me, but I wasn't hearing anything. It was like slow motion. And she was not really um, receptive. She was quite shut down. She didn't really show a lot of emotions back then. So she wasn't looking at me. She didn't want to make eye contact, but I just, you know, kept rubbing her cheeks and saying hi. And I was just elated. It was, I don't know how to really explain it, but it was like a dream that everything I'd worked so hard for and dreamed about for years was in my arms. And she was perfect, even though she was scared of me. And Mm-hmm. I may have initially thought she was the wrong child because she was very blonde. <laughs> but, um, yeah, she was just, just beautiful. And that moment, like, it still brings me to tears because she was she was all my dreams come true. Um, so how long did you have to stay in the country before you could come back to Canada? I was only in country for a week. Oh, wow. That's correct um, for international adoption. Yeah. But Bulgaria is actually two trips, so I had okay. to leave her there. Oh, wow. Okay, so how, now, which, now tell me what that <laughs> feels like. So now how do you... That was the worst feeling in the world. Um, I cried leaving her. I cried for the next four months waiting for her. So wait, um, you had to leave, so you've met her, and then you had to leave her in an yeah. orphanage for four months? Oh, my goodness, my dog. Yeah, it was... Um, it was hard that that week I spent with her from being this this closed off child that literally showed no emotions and you know she wanted to be held but yet it was odd for her and 
by the end of the week, she was sleeping on me, and I had gotten a few smiles, and she was looking for me, and it just, to know that we had bonded that much in that week, and then I was going to have to leave her was just devastating. Um, But at the same time, if I didn't leave her, she wouldn't come home, because that's the process with Bulgaria. So... It was hard, but I came home and I cried a lot, but I got her nursery ready and I prepared for her. And before I knew it, I got to travel back and pick her up. So you get, you travel back and what is it like reuniting with her? So this this time when they put her in your arms and you've already met her and you've already fallen in love. Uh, it was like just as amazing as the first time. I am. I wasn't sure if she would remember me being so young. You don't really know what their memory capacity is. Um, But I swear she remembered me because I picked her up and she was asleep and she opened her little eyes. She just kind of did this double take at me. And then like, I just got this big smile, which that like barely smiled. It was like, you're back. And that's amazing. It was, yeah, it was just beautiful. And it was a very quick pickup. We got her changed really quickly and left. And um, I don't know, it's like she knew her life was starting. And I know that sounds weird because she was only 14 months at the time. But the one caregiver that she was close to in the orphanage, uh, after she was all dressed and bundled up to leave, I handed her to this worker to kind of say goodbye. And she held her little finger and just looked at her. And it was like she was telling her I was going to be okay. And then we left. And this child who was quiet and reserved and even in her um, medical it said you know she's not quick to show emotions and she's not pretentious but she's not happy either um all of a sudden she was dancing and laughing and it was like her life just started and she knew and she was this is my mom and this is my life that's so amazing so you bring her home and then you introduce her to family. And what is that like? What is, um, someone specifically asked me to ask you, what kind of support did you have? Yeah, I had a very supportive um, family and friend circle. So when we landed uh, in a snowstorm, there was still like 20 people at the airport oh, wow. <laughs> um, waiting to greet us. And they had a whole like, party plan for us which thinking back is a little bit crazy after 30 hours of travel uh, with a baby but yeah they had cake and everyone was just so excited to meet her and I think not everyone has that support system but I've been very blessed to have a family who cares and friends who are excited for me and I also have the Down syndrome community that has come alongside me and just welcomed us and um, been so excited for my kids as well. So what made you think, hey, I'm just going to have another child for adoption? <laughs> <laughs> so I swore when I picked up Emmy that I was done for a while, not for a long time, but at least a few years. Um, my lawyer in country even said, oh, so we'll see you in a year. And I gave her the like sturdiest like, look and laugh and said, like, you're nuts. Like, you know, you'll be retired before you see me again. (laughs) Um, And then I came home and like two months later, everything just kind of changed in my heart. Um, Two months. So you were two two months months into the process. Yeah. We were like 
barely settled. We still had all of uh, any, my daughter's medical appointments and we were still working on bonding and attachments and through a lot of her trauma. But my heart just really started feeling like there was another child out there that needed to be in our family. And it was totally crazy and made no sense. But I emailed um, the local government. It was like, so when can I start the adoption process again? And from there, uh, they told me I had to wait a couple months, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Ontario, yeah. it's six months. Do you know how long it is in? It's and- about the same okay. in Alberta. It has to be a year between placement mm-hmm. of children. So I think I started about five months after Emmy came home. They let me start the paperwork. Okay. Yeah. And so this time, you did you go through Reese's Rainbow this time? I did. So um, around the same time that I was meeting Emmy in country, a little boy was posted on Reese's Rainbow. And he was uh, just a couple months older than Emmy. And he also had Down syndrome. And his picture just broke my heart. And, you know, the whole time I was in the process to bring her home and shortly after this little boy just, I couldn't get him off my mind. And I prayed for him all the time. And when I decided to officially start the process, it just kind of became clear that this was the child I wanted to pursue. And in adoption, you should never get your hopes up that you're going to adopt a specific child because there's, you know, a pretty good chance that it might not work out for whatever reason. But I just had this overwhelming feeling that he was my son. So even though people told me not to get attached and, um, Part of me was like, okay, whatever happens, happens. Like, I, I trust, you know, the process. Um, I just knew he was my son. And sure enough, a few months later, I was matched with him. And I was able to fundraise through Reese's Rainbow and access that whole supportive community as well. And what country was he from? He was from Bulgaria. Oh, also. Okay. And so um, you are able to go down now. Now, what did you do with your daughter? Uh, did she come with you to go and meet him, or did she, did she stay back with family? So she traveled with me. So when I went to meet Malachi, Emmy had only been home about 13 months. Oh, wow. 14 months, maybe. Um, it was pretty quick. <laughs> so she traveled with me, and I had a friend um, and her daughter travel as well, just for some extra support. Mm-hmm. So she stayed um, with them in the hotel while I went on visits with Malachi. Okay. And and so um, when you met Malachi, what, how old was he at this point then? He was almost three. It was just before his third birthday. Okay. So what was that like meeting him? Uh, it was terrifying, honestly. With Emmy, it was this total like initial bond, and I was in love with her instantly. Um, but Malachi, he was older. Mm-hmm. He had a lot more special needs, um, and he was just big and awkward, and he was three and the size of an almost five-year-old lengthwise, but he had no muscle control, and oh, wow. um, he screamed a lot. So to be honest, it was terrifying, but at the same time, when I seen him, it was just, it was kind of... Like things had come full circle, this child that I had prayed for and cared about 
just through a picture and some videos um, for over a year was now in front of me. And even though it was scary, it was also special. And I knew that I loved him and I was doing the right thing and that everything would be okay. And I always remember, even though that first meeting was overwhelming and terrifying and he didn't want to be held and he wanted nothing to do with me. And I was already seeing some medical stuff that wasn't really in his file. I still, when I left that initial meeting, I called my mom and I was like, he's perfect. And I just cried and said, he's, he's perfect. Wow. So there was a, um, he had more medical issues than they had originally said. So he had down syndrome and he said he had no muscle tone. What are some of the other complications that he had? So in his file, um, it said that he had a brain fist. Okay. Um, which can mean all sorts of things. I did have an international um, adoption doctor look over his file and it's not really medical terminology that we use uh, in North America. So they said it could either be a stroke or it could be CP or it could be a cyst. Um, I just didn't really know. His medical also said that he had some eye issues, um, but he wasn't blind. They just said he had a astrobusiness, which is kind of turns in eyes. Um, and they said he had seizures, but he had only had one and they had never seen any after that. When I met him, it was very clear that he had had a stroke. His left side um, developmentally, his hands were smaller. Uh, his leg was smaller. He had no use of the left side of his body. Um, he was having hundreds of seizures um, in the hour that I had spent with him, oh, wow. they were just almost constant. And it was pretty obvious that he was blind. He didn't really react to like my hand going above his head to like rub his hair. Uh, he spooked really easily. So even just in that first hour, I knew things uh, were vastly different than had been presented originally. So is there any part of you that was like, um, I might not be able to do this. <laughs> uh, I definitely have those fears. I think those fears are really, really normal. Um, yeah, you know, what you're describing and... right now, I I would think, wow, I might not be the mom for this child. <laughs> like, yeah. That sounds like and, a lot uh, of scariness. <laughs> it does. And I think um, had it even been a year earlier, like when I first seen his medical file and him posted before Emmy was even home, I looked at it and I said, wow, it's going to take a really special person to say yes to this child. And this is a child that could potentially just fall through the cracks and never have a family because his medical sounds scary. And God, I feel like did a lot of work in my heart to be like, no, it'll be okay. Even though there's unknowns and you don't know what the future will look like with him, it'll still be okay. And he needs a mom. And when I was there, it was less fear of you know, can I do this? It was more fear of he needs medical care and he's not getting it here. So it's about getting um, him home and getting him to a doctor. Yeah. And I was just, I was more afraid about what, you know, four or five more months in the orphanage would do to him before mm -hmm. he could come, come home. So once again, you had to leave him and, yes. and know <laughs> that he actually, he actually needs medical care. He's not getting and leave him there and go home. So what was yeah. that like? It was even harder than leaving my daughter, which I didn't think was possible. Um, 
Emmy was really loved in her orphanage. Um, no orphanage is a great place for a child, but they tried really hard there to care for the children the best they could. Um, and Malachi's orphanage was extremely different. It was the doctor in charge of caring for him even came to me and said, why don't you choose a different child? We're just waiting for him to die. He's not worth it. Oh, wow. Um, so to know that that was their mindset towards this child that I loved and had prayed for and you know, was my son, was really scary. And seeing the medical neglect that whole week and knowing that there was so much more going on with him and he wasn't having those needs addressed, um, it was terrifying. And I, I honestly didn't know if he would live long enough for me to make it back to pick him up. And that was the scariest thing to to have to walk away from him, not knowing if I would ever see him again. Wow, that is so. You are able to get back and get him and bring him and bring him back. And ha- what had happened to him in that meantime? Had he had so, it gotten worse, or he stayed the same? He kind of he stayed the same. Um, this child, he is a medical <laughs> phenomena in that way, um, and I'll get to that a little bit <laughs> later. But yeah, I, I picked him up, and he was. He hadn't gained any weight, but he wasn't any worse off. Everything was kind of the same as when I had seen him uh, four and a half months previous. Um, I had a very quick pickup trip with him. My uh, lawyers were able to arrange it so that we could only be in country 24 hours before getting him home because his medical needs were uh, so unknown, Mm -hmm. which turned out to be um, a total miracle because as soon as we stepped off the plane, uh, in Canada, things started going downhill really quickly, and we ended up um, being in the hospital 12 hours later, um, getting him some very much needed medical attention. And so, what happened then? What was uh, what did he get rushed to the hospital for? Uh, he was very lethargic and not um, breathing super well. He wasn't eating, and he just kind of became um, unresponsive. So we rushed him to our local children's hospital. We're very blessed to live um, really close to one of the best hospitals in Canada. And they started work on him right away. It was kind of one of those scenes out of, if you've ever watched like Grey's Anatomy or ER, where uh, we're sitting there and everyone's really calm. And they're like, oh, you know, fill out this paperwork while we bring him back. And then all of a sudden you hear a page over the intercom about an emergency. Oh, and then you child. follow the nurse into the back, and yeah, and there's like 15 people working on your child. Oh, wow. And everyone's kind of yelling back and forth, and I'm trying to answer their questions the best I can. But, I mean, he's only been my child for not even two days at this oh, point. <laughs> and, uh, you know, his medical info was pretty unknown. We had a very small medical, and um, we had meds for him, but most of them were in Bulgarian, so we're trying to figure out what the Canadian equivalent of that is. Um, So they kind of started tests right away. And it's like the middle of the night at this point and the ER doctor comes in and I'll never forget this moment because I've never seen a doctor like freak out before. And this doctor came in and he's stuttering and he's like, I just, I don't know what to do. Like they had done a CT scan of his brain and he's like, I've never seen anything like it. I don't know what to do. I've called neurology. I just, I don't know what to do. 
And I was wow. just like, okay, it's it's fine. Like, he's stable. Like, everything's okay. And I, this doctor just kind of left the room. And I'm like, okay, life's about to, to get interesting. And so, and what happened then? Uh, so everything was, I mean, okay. We uh, ended up spending two weeks in the hospital just running lots of different tests to kind of get a baseline. Um, I found out that he had had a massive stroke um, either during birth or just before um, he was born. Okay. So he he ended up only having half a brain, which was wow. um, kind of kind of a big shock. Yeah. No wonder the doctor didn't know what to do with his brain scan. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, to see that he only had... Um, the right side of his brain was, yeah, it was pretty shocking. Um, at the same time, we also found out that he had, um, they call it a non-accidental traumatic brain injury. Um, typically, it's known as shaken baby syndrome, but without um, someone admitting to shaking right. the child, um, they don't call it that. So uh, he most likely had shaken baby syndrome. Um, and that probably happened caused- in the orphanage? Most likely, um, we could kind of tell by early videos that he wasn't blind. He was responding visually Uh, and to certain things, Um, and now he wasn't. So we think it happened between one and a half to two years old. Um, So, yeah, he because of that, he now had – he was blind and had um, some other brain damage because of it, not related to the stroke. Um, we also found that he had some sort of genetic condition. We still were never able in the time he was here to um, figure out exactly what it was. It's probably one in a, a million sort of thing, but he had some developmental abnormalities in his brain stem. Um, but that didn't overly seem to affect him <laughs> compared to everything else. Uh, we also found out during that time that, yeah, he had a very severe uh, seizure disorder. So he was seizing roughly every minute. Wow. Um, so they, they took that time to get his meds sorted out. And thankfully, um, with good meds, we had fairly good control of that. Uh, we also had to um, wean him off um, some meds that Bulgaria had him on that weren't really appropriate. So we went through some pretty bad withdrawals in the hospital um which was pretty heartbreaking to see but uh yeah now during all of this you're still you're while all of this is going on you are still bonding with your daughter um so how how you you're a single mom and you're balancing you know you have your daughter at home with down syndrome that you're bonding with and you have a child in the hospital that is much more extreme um, than you were originally uh, expecting. So how do you, okay, so as a mom, what are you, how are you taking care of yourself? How is this working for you? Uh, it was really, really hard. Um, I stayed with my son in the hospital for that whole two weeks initially. Um, my daughter stayed with my mom and they would come and visit every couple of days. I did leave the hospital uh one day on the weekend and spent some time with her but it was difficult like I I felt like I wasn't being there for her Mm -hmm. but at the same time at that time Malachi had needed me and I'm thankful for the support uh, of my family to know that she was well cared for by someone that she loved and trusted so that 
I could focus the attention um, on Malachi at that time, which is what he really needed. And so uh, continuing with the story then with uh, Malcolm, so was he able to come home? He did come home. Um, We had a really nice summer at home where we um, got to bond and kind of figure out life as a family of three. Mm -hmm. Um, And we got to bond with him a bit and we kind of figured out some of the jealousy issues and just the, I don't know, the whole adjustment to to having two kids, Mm -hmm. um, which can be be huge at times. Um, So yeah, our summer was really, really nice. We spent lots of time in our backyard and playing and um, Malachi in that time, he uh, was terrified of people. I always joke that he hated me because he, yeah. He just, he never wanted to be held, even carrying him from like the bedroom to the living room. He couldn't handle that. But he slowly, we started to see big changes. He would let us hold his hand. He would slowly let us hold him longer. Um, He loved when Emmy would sing to him. So even though it was hard, we did start seeing uh, changes, which was was really encouraging. And then um, as the summer ended and you brought, went into fall, what, what was that like? So then our life um, kind of changed drastically. Malachi went in for what was supposed to be a pretty simple um, surgery to have a feeding tube placed because he wasn't able to eat orally. And um, after surgery, he had a really, really hard time coming off of anesthesia And it was at that time that we started to learn the extent of his lung issues. We um, had seen a few times over the summer where he would turn blue when he was crying or he was working hard to play or he was worked up about something. But our doctors originally just thought, oh, he's holding his breath. Um, It's nothing major. He wasn't requiring extra oxygen at that time or anything. But after surgery, um, he ended up coding and having to um, be resuscitated by the doctors. Mm-hmm. And it was at that time that uh, we realized that there was a lot more going on with Malachi than originally um, presented. So September um, all the way through to April, we were pretty much in the hospital um, the whole time. We'd kind of come home for three or four days because he'd do a bit better and then he'd kind of crash again and we'd be back in the ICU for a few weeks. So it's from um, September all the way till April. So almost, yeah, so almost then, a whole school year. Yeah. So from January to April, he, we just stopped coming home and we stayed in the hospital. But a few months before that, we, uh, we tried. And in this time, we just learned that he had extensive um, lung damage he likely had untreated uh, lung infections for most of the time he was in the orphanage, which created just a ton of scar tissue on his lungs. Mm-hmm. And um, he was continuing to aspirate um, on like refluxing his feeds. And just the fact that it was cold and flu season, everything he got hit him so hard. So when he had even the little bit littlest bit of extra strain on his lungs he required uh, tons and tons of support to breathe um, 
So we ended up spending months and months in the ICU. Sometimes he was intubated and on life support, and sometimes we were able to wean him down um, to just regular oxygen. But um, yeah, we just realized that he was he was a lot sicker than we thought, and um, and that even though we were trying to do things to make it better, in reality, um, he was just at such a place that no intervention would really work at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to make some difficult decisions to um, bring him home on palliative care. Um, shortly before he had been home a year, we came home in April um, on palliative care and he would be home a year in June. Mm-hmm. And so um, when you came home on palliative care, what does that look like for you? You're, you're a single mom at this point. How old are you at that point? I was 28 at this time. <laughs> so you're 28, um, you're living at home. You have uh, your daughter with Down syndrome. How old is she then at this point? Uh, she was three. Okay, so you have a three-year-old girl with Down syndrome. And then you and have a three-year-old boy. <laughs> three-year-old boy that you are you are watching now with palliative care. So what, like, yeah. I don't, I can't even, I don't even have a question to ask about that. <laughs> it what was, is, what is that? Honestly, what is your heart? Like, what is your heart doing at that point as mom? Uh, it was just, it was broken. Um, we had tried so hard in the hospital to get him to a place where he was thriving. And I had always had this hope that, you know, with medical intervention, we could get there. And I kept hearing from the doctors that they didn't understand how this child had lived three and a half years in an institution with no medical care. It made no medical sense how he was still alive because now we've got world-class medicine and, you know, he's ending up on life support every few months or every few weeks. Um, It was just, you know, the only thing they could say was a miracle. Um, So I really had to start changing my heart from um, hoping that with medical care, things would get better to just accepting that um, that his miracle was the fact that he made it home mm-hmm. and that every day with him would be a blessing. And I think back to the kind of initial research I did to his brain cyst that he was originally um, diagnosed with in Bulgaria that he didn't end up having. And I remember reading that sometimes they have a shortened lifespan between eight and 12 years. And I remember being terrified of having a child that would pass away at age eight. And here I was with my child who was now just four and we're facing losing him. And um, it kind of, it broke everything in me because I had all these hopes and dreams of what the future would look like. And now we're being told that we need to change those. And my initial reaction was to keep fighting, to keep, you know, doing intervention in the hospital and keep hoping and, you know, maybe we could do a lung transplant or maybe we could do all of these crazy things that in reality weren't what were best for him, but I was just kind of just grasping at whatever hope we could find. And then it just kind of hit me that he just needed a family Mm -hmm. and, you know, he wasn't thriving in the hospital. He was depressed. He wasn't you know, the happy child that he was, you know, the times that he was at home. 
And so then we just had to make that really, really hard decision that, you know, we weren't going to have forever with him, but the time we had, we wanted to make sure it was really, really good and really, really special. And we were giving him what we had set out to give him in the beginning, which was a family. Mm -hmm. Um, So we brought him home in April and our doctors at the time told us that we would probably only have a couple days or maybe a couple weeks with him. Um, But I just kept praying for time because I felt like the number one thing he needed was just time at home and in a family. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we got blessed with that. We got six beautiful months with him at home. Wow, six months. Yeah, which was amazing because we had never spent longer than a few weeks out of the hospital. And he he was actually thriving. There was even times where I said to, like, my mom and my friends, like, are we sure this kid's on palliative care? Like, maybe we were wrong. Like, you know, it just doesn't make any sense because, yeah, he was doing so well. Um, but then slowly um, at the end of summer, we started to notice just a natural decline um, in his health. And then it kind of snapped us back to reality that, yeah, this is serious but um every day I felt like we're on borrowed time so I was just thankful for every every beautiful day we had with him and so when did he pass away uh he passed away October 4th and um I in talks with our doctors um when he first went on palliative care one thing that was really important for me was that if he was going to pass away, that he did, um, surrounded by his family and, and with me. And I always said, you know, he didn't come into this world in the best of ways. Um, you know, he he wasn't loved. He was forgotten in a hospital room. And, you know, his, his bio family, for their own reasons, walked away. And, and that's okay. But he had a really rough beginning. And I wanted his end to just be full of love and I just wanted him to know how special he was. So um the beginning of October he kinda got sick and we just knew that um things weren't good. So I camped out in his room for about four days. Um and my daughter spent a lot of time with him and um that night our doctors had said they were surprised he had made it through the night before and I just he had had a really wonderful day. He um, was really sick, but he was calm and he wasn't upset. And I just kind of knew that God was giving us one good day. And I remember um, his night staff, we had a lot of nursing at that time, which is um, was a blessing because that's really what made um, us able to live through those six months as a family, was having um, nursing support here. So his uh, night nurse was here and she was wonderful. And I went to bed and I just prayed that um, if it was his time to just let me know and I would be strong for him. And um, his nurse woke me up about 45 minutes later and just said, you know, he wasn't doing well. And um, we kind of worked on him a little bit to get him back. And then I woke up, uh, my mom was staying at the house at the time and just told her that Malachi was ready and we needed to say goodbye. So, um, we had beautiful gospel music playing in his room and the lights were dimmed and I just held him and loved him and 
told him how amazing and special he was and how lucky I was to be his mom. And he passed away, sorry, peacefully in my arms, just knowing that he was loved and special and that was, I guess just my only hope for him in life was that he knew how loved he was and you know, I think back to when I first met him and that doctor told me that I should choose another child because he wasn't worth it because he was going to die. Um, and I just want to, you know, say to her that she wasn't wrong. You know, he was going to pass away, but she was so wrong in the fact that he was worth it. That loving him, even though, you know, my heart will be broken for the rest of my life, was so worth it because he got a mom and he got a sister, and he got a life, and a whole community who loved him, and who will remember him, and mourn him, and that's worth more than anything in life. Oh, wow, I'm like bawling my eyes out. <laughs> I could compose myself so I could ask another question. <laughs> so how did your, um, how did your daughter respond to that? Was she able to understand what was happening? Uh, so a few weeks before he passed away, out of the blue, she started calling him her Malachi in the sky. Oh, wow. And my, my daughter doesn't have a lot of speech. Um, she's very speech delayed, but she would say Kai in the sky. And at the time, I didn't, you know, I would just, like, look at my mom, who was, you know, here, or the nurse or whatever, and be like, I don't want to address this, but she knows something that we don't know or we don't want to address. Um and I feel like in her heart, she kind of knew and she kind of understood. Um, the loss of him has hit her hard. They were they were best friends. She was like a little mom to him. And um, she's definitely missed him. And she asks for him all the time. And, you know, she asks where he went. And, you know, I think she's now five months later um, kind of understanding that he's not coming back. And mm-hmm. There was some hard times, like when we visited the hospital, she thought that he was there oh. and she could go visit him. And um, so it's been hard for her to understand when she's only four, but at the same time, she does get it. And she still calls him her pie in the sky and she blows him kisses. And mm. she, it's kind of helped in the grieving too that she, she talks about him all the time. And she reminds me that it's okay to, be happy and listen at the same time. So um, if there's a person listening to this and they said, wow, I could never, I could never do that. What encouragement would you give them? I never thought I could do it either. I didn't sign up for a kid that was going to be in the hospital for a month. I didn't sign up to have a child that I was going to lose. Um, I signed up for a child that I thought would get better and would make progress and walk one day and maybe even talk. And, you know, I thought that I was signing up for a child that I could maybe quote unquote fix. Um, But at the end of the day, we don't get to choose. And I think we just have to trust whether it's a biological child or an adopted child. It's not our plans in life. We just have to trust that, Whatever is given to us, whether it's sickness or injury or any of that, that, you know, God or faith or whatever you believe in is going to get you through because 
you know, that old saying of what doesn't break you makes you stronger. And mm-hmm. I don't agree with that. I think it's what does break you <laughs> that makes you stronger because, you know, it will break you. And there was times where I cried in my shower being like, why was this child, why did I, I choose this child? Or why did God lay this child on my heart? Because I'm not enough. He needed a family with two parents and more experience and all of these things. But at the end of the day, I feel like God made me enough. And, you know, you just, you adjust because love is greater than anything else. And yes, I was scared. And yes, I didn't sleep for nine months. And yes, I was exhausted. But loving this child, this innocent little boy who more than anything just needed a mom was enough to get me through. And life life calls you to do hard things. Life is never going to be easy. Um, and it's, it's just what you do during those hard times. It's okay to fall apart, but you still have to get up the next day. That's, and important, to re- people, that's important to remember that it's okay to fall apart. Absolutely. And sometimes people and fall, apart fall apart and they feel guilty about it, but it's okay to do that. Mm-hmm. You can allow yourself to fall apart. Absolutely. I think it's not okay to not fall apart. Like life is hard. And when you're dealing with hard things, yeah, you know, you can be broken for a while. But if you just keep getting up every day, you'll get through it. And, um, and yeah, you know, I know a lot of people wouldn't necessarily choose a child with severe medical needs. And I was one of them at one point. You know, I wanted the easy special needs. I didn't want the hard ones. Um, but now being on the other side of it, you know, anyone is enough. If I was enough, this single young mom, then anyone is. Because, yeah, you just, you figure it out. And um, and the joy is always greater than than the darkness. If we, if we switch over now and talk about your daughter for a little bit, um, we're actually yeah. going to um, post this on um, World Down Syndrome Day. So oh, what awesome. is, so what is um, life like with your daughter? Oh, she is just sunshine and joy and everything magical. Um, she is, it's hard to even put into words. She is just beautiful. And sometimes I forget she has Down syndrome because truthfully, it's not a huge part of our life. She is just any, mm-hmm. um, but that extra chromosome, um, gives her the cutest little half moon eyes when she smiles. And, um, I love the fact that she learns things slower because uh, it really makes me just slow down and enjoy the small things. And we celebrate every little thing with her. Like when she learned to finally walk, like we literally threw a party. <laughs> um, and, you know, every new word she says and every new thing she does, it just, it makes my heart swell. And I'm just so proud of her. And um, yeah, she just brings joy to our life every single day she is um she's yeah she's just magical (laughs) so uh, normally I say I would ask um you know um for people who are thinking about adopting down syndrome and I'll talk about that in a minute but for the mom who's maybe listening to this um who just found who's pregnant who just found out her child Mm -hmm. has down syndrome what would you say to them Uh, I would say it's okay to be scared it's okay okay to grieve um, all of those things are natural. Um, life will look different 
than you had originally hoped and planned and dreamed for. But different isn't scary. And your life now will be filled with a different kind of joy and hope than you originally thought. You know, you may not be seeing Picasso, but you're seeing, you know, okay, I should have thought that analogy through. Another famous painter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, life will be different, but it's going to be beautiful because your child is going to smile and they're going to walk and they're going to talk and they're going to do everything a typical child does, but they're going to do it in a way that is just so much more special. And as an added bonus, uh, you're going to get this amazing Down syndrome community that if you let them will walk beside you and will be your greatest friends and your greatest supporters. And not only will you have a beautiful child, but you'll have a beautiful community. And, uh, you know, the saying is that we're the lucky few. And it's true because um, I know with Down syndrome in my life, it just taught me to enjoy the little things so much more. And uh, kids with Down syndrome have the best smile. So you really won the lottery in that regard. <laughs> um, so for someone who is thinking about adoption and, um, you know, they hadn't even thought about maybe looking into adopting um, special needs or someone with Down syndrome, what, what advice would you give them? Uh, I would tell them to to really do their research. I think so many more people in life would be open to children with special needs if they really understood what they are. I think there's a lot of misinformation and outdated information out there of, of what special needs are. Or they go into this place where it's like, oh, that's different, so that's scary. I could never do something like that. Or it takes a special person, when in reality, it doesn't. Um, special needs can mean all all sorts of things with Down syndrome really just means that it takes my daughter a little bit longer to learn things doesn't mean that she can't learn things it just means that it takes her a little bit longer so we get to enjoy every stage and milestone longer Um, and I always hear from every parent you know they don't want their kids to grow up they wish they'd be a baby longer and that you know instead of taking a week to learn to walk it would take them a month because they really want to savor those moments and with down syndrome you get to you're still going to meet all of those milestones but you get to savor it more along the way and I think if um, people who are considering special needs to really just reach out to um, your local community or even online like joining the Reese's Rainbow Facebook group or um following people on Instagram who are raising children with Down syndrome or other special needs and just really looking into what life is actually like um, with a child with unique needs because it's not as different or as hard as you may think. Our life is completely normal. Uh, Emmy goes to school. She eats her toast in the morning. We go to play group with friends. Um, Our life does not revolve around medical things or therapy. Our life is completely normal. We go to the park, we eat dinner, she helps me bake muffins, she has friends and meaningful relationships and a whole community um, that she's loved in and accepted in and it's really not hard and our life isn't different than any of our friends with typical kids and um, I think if we start just changing our mindset around that, um, people will really see that 
uh, special needs are actually a blessing and, and that will bring great things to your life. Wow, that is so much to digest. That is, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> I'd say as you've encouraged me. Like you've encouraged lot, me but... for sure to, yeah, like uh, that. That is, I, I am, I have no words left after hearing your story. <laughs> um, we always want our listeners to, um, when they're as they're listening to the podcast, to spend the rest of the day praying for the family. So. This is going to, um, it will be originally posted on World Down Syndrome Day, but it'll be posted again multiple times after that. So as listeners are listening and they spend the rest of the day praying for you, what would you like them to pray about? I think just our hearts as we um, continue to miss our beautiful Malachi. Um, And that you just pray for um, our family and what comes next. They still have a very big heart um, for vulnerable children and um, children with medical needs that need uh, families. So if they could just pray um, for God to kind of guide us into the steps he uh, has planned for this kind of next journey of our life and, and what that means for kids that I hopefully get the blessing to care for. And, um, and yeah, I guess just what, what God has planned for our family. All right. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. No problem. Thanks for letting me. (laughs) It was cathartic. (laughs) All right. That was our interview. And like I said, that was such a heart-wrenching story for me, but so encouraging. And also just it opened up my eyes to be thinking when we think about adoption, to be thinking about adopting children with special needs and especially children with Down syndrome. Uh, It was so encouraging. And so I hope that it's touched your heart as well. If you can share this podcast, especially um, today on World Down Syndrome Day, but even in the future, if you can share this podcast a lot and let other people can be encouraged um, to think about adopting children with special needs. And also, if you're listening to this podcast from my website, if you could check us out on iTunes um, and give us a good five-star rating, uh, and subscribe and maybe a good rating because that helps us um, to be able to get the new get our podcast out to more people. We want more people to hear these stories of families who have adopted. We want to get the word out about adoption. All right, so go on iTunes, find this podcast, uh, rate us, and then share us with other people. And then spend your day today praying uh, for this beautiful, beautiful family. And then thinking also about what is God asking you to do? And is God calling you uh, to parent a child with special needs or to parent somebody with Down syndrome? So be praying about that. And I will see you next week for our next episode of Gifts from God. 